All right, why don't you take your auto pop and stand with me for reading of God's Word. This is Matthew 23, 29. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as a people in this room want to hear what you have to say to us. God, half the time we don't even know what that is, but you come and you change our hearts and you do things that are amazing. And we ask that you would do something amazing in us this morning where we would leave this place different than when we came in and closer to you than we ever have been before. Amen. Have a seat. We're doing a series called uh, The Seven Woes. Essentially, the woes are this. The woes are are words that Jesus gave to the religious people of the day. And the woes are like, uh, woe to you because your religion has overtaken what Christ is calling you to do in your life. Your religion and the things you do, like you go to church and you, and you take communion, you do these, and those are more important to you than living outside of these walls as God has called us to live. Woe to you. So we do this series of, of seven woes. I've done six. Uh, you can get them, and even the ones you missed, free, ourelement.org. You know, like I said, they are free. You get what you pay for. Uh, but on the seventh week, uh, which is next week, Eric Jafruti is going to come and do the seventh woe. I'm really looking forward to that. And since the very first day, when every time I hear the word woe, I think Keanu Reeves, right? Whoa, whoa. And so finally, Eric Jafruti uh, captured all this and made a video for us of woes. So it's, it's like a movie. You get your, you know, little popsicle and you... like all the Bill and Ted's right there in 20 seconds. It was great. And the Matrix. Anyway, uh, so the, these woes again, they are dire warnings that Jesus gives. It's not like Keanu Reeves and his, whoa, these are, these are dire warnings. Uh, we've looked at gnats and camels, the inside and the outside of cups. We've looked at faith, converts to hell, justice, mercy, faithfulness, shutting God's kingdom in men's faces, not lifting a finger, asking, seeking, knocking, wind. And last week we looked at tombs and how certain things in our lives have been marked as death. We need to learn how to recognize those and then how Jesus has come to reconcile us and the world to himself. And all of this is in regard to God's salvation of the world, how he allows us to partner with him in that and how we get off track and what the scriptures say regarding that, how we must examine ourselves and find out where we and those around us uh, are wounded and God wants to heal us and how we and those around us are broken and God wants to fix that and mostly how he wants our inside and our outside to line up and be unified. So if you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to jump into this. 23, verse 29. No, go ahead. I'm, he's, he's like my litmus test. When he's there, we're there. <laughs> 23, 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, that means ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your sin of your forefathers. Once again, ancestors. Now, in the first pass, you read that and you go, what does Jesus have against putting flowers on graves and decorating those kind of things like that? If you're like me, you're like, you know, what's up with that? Kind of odd things to say. But Jesus always has a point and a purpose to the things that he does. He isn't just mean and saying, woe to you guys, you're totally screwing up without a purpose. Unlike us, because we like just to be mean to people. In previous weeks, we have talked about teachers of law and hypocrites and what that looks like. And so today you see this phrase, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, our ancestors again, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So prophets 
kind of seems like the central idea. So we're going to look at that. Who are the prophets? You know, the prophets are not homeless guys with trucker caps. Uh, they are not uh, people who go and live in Florida because God lives there. They are not people on Christian TV. So who are the prophets? You look at uh, what did the ancestors do and how did they respond to the prophets? And what is Jesus, Jesus accusing the religious people of that day of actually doing? And finally, in two hours, we'll look at what it means for us. That's a joke. This is not going to be two hours, I, I promise. If it is, you can shoot me. So turn to the book of Jeremiah. Okay, Old Testament. Jeremiah uh, is an Old Testament prophet. Uh, he has a message from God to give to people. And so we're just going to look at that and show you one prophet and kind of what he did and what happened out in his life. So when Jesus says you build tombs for the prophets, what do the prophets do? How do people react? Jeremiah chapter 20. And this is going to be great for all you guys with Bibles because we're just going to stay in Jeremiah for a while. Just kind of flip around in there. So it's all great. You know, it'll be all, Jeremiah, I don't see bullfrogs in my Bible. Yeah, tough crowd. All right, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Jeremiah's got a message to give to people. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is like a, fi like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. So this prophet has some words that God has given him, and he must share these words and speak out what those are because it burns inside of him. Trying to keep this message that God gives him inside would be exhausting. The prophet doesn't understand complacency. A prophet doesn't understand mediocrity. A prophet doesn't understand going through the motion. He doesn't understand people who cannot commit to the life God calls them to. A prophet doesn't get those things. Um, so you've got you to figure out, you know, he, he says this, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I mean, this is like, I can't do anything else but speak this. So what are these words that the prophet spoke? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. The prophets were typically sent to God's people, those who claim, well, in our vernacular, Christians, okay? At this point, it was the Jews, except for one guy, his name was Jonah. You know him because of the whale story. Uh, and we're actually going to look at Jonah in two weeks. We're going to go through the book of Jonah. Uh, but the prophets almost never went to non-believers. They went to the people of God and they said, what are you doing? Straighten up. They went to those who claimed to be the people of God. Jeremiah chapter 7 starting in verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So don't trust those who repeat themselves a lot. If you really change your ways and your actions deal with each other justly, so the word of the prophet has something to do with treating each other fairly with equity. If you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. It's the prophet of God. He comes and he says these words. Reform. Change. He says, do you think that your temple and your religious, your church services, give you a pass to not do the right thing? He says, do you think that your songs and rituals are going to allow you to be evil? Do you think it is enough to come and say, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and that somehow gets you off the hook? Do you think it is okay to say, well, I went to church on Sunday, so I can do whatever I want? Do you think that gets you off the hook? The prophet goes to God's people and says, you are not acting like God's people. You've got to reform. And sometimes this word reform is translated as a different word, which is return. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 8. It should be like one chapter over. 
Verse 4. Say to them, this is what the Lord says, when men fall down, do they not get up? When a man turns away, does he not return? That's the word reform. Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? God's like, why do my people always turn their back on me? Why do they say, oh, I'm a believer, and they never actually follow me? They cling to deceit. They refuse to return. That's the word reform. And then there's this comic interplay. In verse 7, the prophet adds this. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons. So God compares his people with a bird, and he says, you're more stupid than a bird. I, got, I have birds in my backyard. Birds are stupid, okay, just in case you didn't know. He goes, even the stork gets it. And the dove and the swift and the thrush observe their times of migrations. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. He says, if you claim to be the people of God and you put on a show, you're not getting it. A show is not what God is about. Turn to Jeremiah 22. Here, Jeremiah, he just totally unleashes. It's, it's great. Sometimes prophets are warm and funny and sarcastic. Sometimes they use poetry. Sometimes they just use rants and diatribes and, and, and go nuts. Uh, sometimes they're actually told to lay on their sides for a couple days and then cook food with questionable materials. It's always to get people to listen. Okay, Jeremiah 22, starting in verse 13. Jeremiah goes and he's talking to the king at this point. He says, Woe to him, this is the king, who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. So woe to people who don't pay those around them an honest wage for working for them. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms, so he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar, and decorates it in red. The prophet goes, he speaks words to those in high positions and low, even to kings. Nobody's safe. The prophet is not intimidated by people who held office. He goes and talks to the king who has an army with dungeons, with prisons, minimum, maximum security, not good, and says, you are building your palace on the back of slaves and it is not right. Again, the prophets did not understand mediocrity. The prophets go to the people of God and say, what are you doing? You must reform. The prophet spoke to the people with the most power and said, you're using your power incorrectly. You're showing up your own wealth while others starve. And that's not right. It is not right. Prophets are like the original revolutionaries. It's like, viva la revolution. Or not. Okay, verse 15. Does it make you a king to have more cedar? At this point, this cedar is like the nicest wood. And so do you think that your palace makes you great? Do you think that your character and integrity come from how big your house is? He says, did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right, and so it went well. all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well and this is the kicker. Is that not what it means to know me? Declares the Lord. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. And so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Declares the Lord. Jeremiah says, This king is building his palace on the backs of slaves. And he says, But your father did things right. And he had what he needed. He spent his energies defending the cause of the needy and the poor. The prophet's message of this, if you are the people of God, it will be shown in how you live and what you do. So turn to Jeremiah chapter 26. This is how did the people take the words Jeremiah gave them. You know, the kings at this point had their own religious uh, establishment where the prophets would speak the words that they wanted to hear. I think it's kind of like uh, anybody in political office today, like any president, you know, of the last, I can't tell you how long, I think they have their advisors around them and they're like, Oh, you're the greatest. Oh, it's a, don't look at the polls. You know, look at. Oh, no, no, you're the. Everybody loves you. You're wonderful. And, okay, that's their prophets. Okay, okay. So here, when you see the word prophets, it's talking about those prophets. Jeremiah 26, verse 10. 
When the officials of Judah heard about these things, those are the things Jeremiah was saying, they went up from the royal palace to the house of the Lord and took their places at the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house. The priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, This man should be sentenced to death because he has prophesied against the city. You have heard it with your own ears. So how do the people respond? He should die. That's how they responded. Get rid of this dude. He spoke against our institution. He spoke against our way of doing things. He should die. Our system works for us. How we go to church and we just like to go and sit there and leave and not have to think about God the rest of the week. That works for us. Don't make me think about anything else. That's what I want to do. And so he comes in and he says, that's not right. But they're like, no, you know, this works for us. We're very comfortable. Your message makes me uncomfortable. So you should go away or you should die. Back to Matthew chapter 23. Jeremiah, an example in past history of what happens when someone questions the establishment. Kind of like uh, Jesus, okay? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. You find Jeremiah's tomb and you decorate it. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. We would have never treated him like that. We would have listened. We would have returned. We would have repented. We would have reformed and we would have been different. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking about uh, to some Pharisees. And what happens is there's a guy that comes and he's got this shriveled hand. He injured it somehow and it's, and it's broken. And so what Jesus does is he breaks an oral tradition of the Pharisees and he heals the guy. Uh, Matthew 12 verse 13 says, Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored just as, the, uh, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So these Pharisees are trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. Jesus says, you decorate Jeremiah's tomb and you say, man, we would have never done what our, what our ancestors did, you know, where they're just nuts, out of control. We would not have done that. We would have listened. We would have changed. And what are they doing? They're plotting to kill Jesus. Jesus says, you say you wouldn't have killed Jeremiah, but you're plotting to kill me. You really are children of your ancestors. Ouch. I mean, you really expect the text to, at that point to say, and then it got really quiet and awkward. It doesn't. But you've got to figure out what is Jesus actually saying? What is the point of him saying this? What are we as readers supposed to take away from that? I think something is very, very dangerous when people say, I would never have done that. See, Jesus says, if you don't think you're capable of evil and all that stuff that has come before you, then you've missed the point because you don't understand anything because we are all capable of that. Here, the Holocaust, okay? A great, great evil. Right? We'd all agree. Right? And we say, oh, we would never, ever do that. But what do we do in America? We don't hold life as sacred. And we legalize the killing of unborn. And we're beginning to legalize the killing of those who are old and useless. I mean, I'm not advocating going and holding a sign and standing out in front of, you know, I'll never put a sign in front of this place that says abortion kills because I don't think that changes people. I think loving people changes people. But when we do this, we think we would never do that, and yet we already are doing that thing. We say, oh, the Crusades, oh, those were so evil, we'd never do that. And yet in America, Christians rejoice when Muslims are killed and they're not converted. Oh, we would never. We say the Inquisitions and the witch hunts, we would never do that. But given enough time and enough power, we could all go the same direction. Every single person. Anyone with enough power without checks and balances goes the way of Hitler because it's the way we are, because we think we are so right and we think everybody else is so wrong. 
So one of the things that we must do, we constantly examine ourselves and look at that, how we're working this thing out that God has placed within us. And what Jesus is saying is that we need to be careful when our first instinct says, I would never do this thing. We've got to be careful because the Pharisees said that and they already were doing that thing. So we're going to have some exercises. I'm not, not get up and like jump around or anything. Work off that otter pop. Uh, but exercises in the I would never stuff. We're going to take an honest look at that. So turn to uh, Matthew chapter 13. So we look at the initial response of the words, you know, I would never. What would we do with that? Matthew 13, he tells this parable about different types of soil. Okay? Third kind of soil explained goes like this. 13.22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life and the seedfulness of wealth choke it, that is the word, making it unfruitful. Read it again. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So the word of the kingdom is likened to a seed in our lives. And what does a seed do? Reproduces. Makes more. So these people hear the message of Jesus. They get excited about it and they go, I'm a believer. I wouldn't leave him if I tried. No, okay. He says, I'm a believer. But that's never where it is supposed to stop. That's never where, at the point of a disciple, the nature of a disciple is that they make more disciples. The seed grows, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, they choke the word. The deceitfulness of wealth is this, I always want more. I want something different. I want something better than, than what I have. And eventually you get to this point where you're really excited and then you lose it. And all of a sudden you're not sharing, you're not loving people, you're no longer passionate. You get up, you go to work, you come home, you watch TV, you go to bed. And there's just nothing there. They no longer have the passion they once knew, like the prophet, down in their bones. This fire that burned, and it's gone. If you ever say, I would never be like that third soil, you've got to catch yourself and ask, are you already like that third soil? You know, is there any third soil going on? Are you choked? Jesus' answer, if that's you, is you seek first the kingdom. That's what you do. Turn to Mark chapter 9. This is another place where our gut instinct is to go, no way, I, w- I would never do that. Uh, Jesus is passing through Galilee. He's not really talking to crowds. He's intending to spend some time with his disciples, focusing on training them. And so he's walking along the road, and they have this, this discussion going on. Mark 9.33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what, are you argu- what were you arguing about on the road? So apparently Jesus also has super hearing, which is amazing. And so these guys argue about stuff a lot. Uh, but this is not a trivial thing. It says, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Imagine that. It's like, I, 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 I'm so much greater than you. Oh, Jesus. What's up, Jesus? No, no, dude, I am so much better than you. I mean, can you imagine that? It's like, oh, I would never do that. That's, that wouldn't be me. You know, it's, it's insane. Jesus constantly said, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. You must be a servant of all. And while they are following the embodiment of divine obedience, they argue over who's the greatest. It's great. And we say, there's no way I would do that, especially around Jesus. But the passage is about ego. It's totally about ego. Wanting to be noticed, adored, look at my accomplishments, look what I did. When ambitions turn sour and selfish... When we start to argue over, oh, which church is the greatest? Oh, who's got the best preacher? Oh, who's got the best music? I mean, can you imagine Jesus just looking at these people and saying, you totally missed the point. You totally missed the point. You've got to ask, is there any ego in me? Do I struggle just for people to notice me? Is this me? Have you said, oh, I would never do that, and yet we already are. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Last week I, I kind of gave a little overview of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, th- this is kind of the beginning of that parable. 
Luke 10, verse 30. In reply, it's like, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Is there anything in you that says, oh my goodness, those people aren't, I would never pass by. I would never walk by some hurting guy that was just, anybody? I would never. Don't raise your hands because then we're going to pick on you. Okay? I would never do that. If, if there is a need that I saw and I could take care of, I, I definitely would take care of that need. Uh, the, the road that this guy is on is called the Jerusalem Road. The Jerusalem Road at this point is probably you know, five to six feet wide. So this guy gets beat up. He's laying on the side of the road and you're a priest and you've got to go... Sucks to be you, you know, and you just, and you just kind of keep going, right? I mean, that's, that's what it would be. I mean, you literally have to go up and step over the hurting person. And we look at that and we say, oh, I would never, I would never. But how many times do we? How many times that we see somebody hurting or see somebody broken and we're like, and we just step over and keep going because you know what? I don't have a lot of emotional energy right now. I just don't think I could do that. Oh, well, they got a cell phone. They'll be okay. Oh, I just... And we just keep going. The mark of humility and awareness that we ask ourselves, is that or could that be me? You don't have to turn here. But in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is, is speaking to a crowd. In the middle of him speaking in this crowd, this guy stands and just yells something out. In, in Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Someone in the crowd, while Jesus is teaching, <laughs> said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So, in this society, Jesus is a rabbi, and this is not an issue in the Hebraic legal system that a rabbi would ever deal with. This is totally out of the bounds. This is totally inappropriate, especially in the middle of a crowd. It's like, you know, hey, let's go hear Jesus speak. Yeah, okay, and you're standing there going, Jesus, he's a moron. He's like, oh, I'm glad I went to church. That's great. I, I totally appreciate that. That's fun. There's, there's a division in this family, a fracture that involves inheritance, possessions, and money. A relationship is fracturing and falling apart because of money and possessions. And we say, oh, I would never let money come in the way of a significant relationship in my life. Well, let me ask you a question. If you have a job, and you spend so much of your time at your job, and all of your emotional energy goes into this place, and you come home and you have nothing to give to those around you or your family, then that is already you. I mean, this, these, these are us. And yet we look at these and we always say, oh, I would never, and yet we already are. I'm not telling you to quit your jobs, okay? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying we have to be careful to look because this is us. We do all these things. The religious impulse is to look at something like this and always say, oh, I would never, I'd never do that. But the Jesus impulse is to ask, is there any of that in me? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And Jesus says, woe to you, because you're just like your ancestors. So, questions for you. Is there anything that you're dealing with that is choking the fresh new word of God out of your life? Has the deceitfulness of wealth made you chase things that are going nowhere? Has your ego gotten in the way of serving God? Like, oh, I'll never serve there. No one will ever notice me if I serve there. When everything we do is serving Him. Is there any suffering or any hurting going on around you and you have stepped by and said, oh, I would never. I would never. We need to repent. We need to return. We need to reform. 
Is there any issues of money, possessions, ego? Who's the greatest that's keeping you from the life God has called you to, from surrendering to Jesus? Because it is all about Jesus. So the way that God is reconciling and bringing the world to himself is through Christ. Jesus is our great God and Savior who has come and lived and died and rose for us to bring us back into proper relationship with God. And if you're a believer this morning, we're taking communion. And that is what communion is going to represent. Um, if you're not a believer this morning, we invite you to the risen Christ. We invite you to know Jesus, to know and have this renewed relationship with God. There's going to be elders in the back of the room that are, would love to pray with you and talk to you if you have any questions about it. I mean, maybe not even today. It's just like, i got a couple questions and I'm not sure, but I'd like to talk to you about it. We take communion and we remember to return to what God has called us to. We take the crack and we break it like Christ's body was broken. We dip it in the wine or the grape juice, whatever your purview is, to, and that represents his blood that was spilled for us to bring us back into relationship with God. The bread and the cup remind us of the life that God has given us and promised us through Christ. And so this table, this place, is a place of humbleness before God where we ask, is this me? Is this me? Where have I left the path? God, how do I get back on that path? How do I repent? How do I reform? How do I return? Because I really want to return. The band's going to come up. And we're going to worship God. We're going to worship God through taking communion. We're going to worship God through song. We're going to worship God uh, through prayer. Elders in the back, and they'd love to pray with you. If you have any, like, oh, man, I want to get back on track. I need some prayer. Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the back of the room. We're going to worship God through fellowship, where you'll hang out and talk to each other and get to know each other, because that's worship too. And I was talking to a lady uh, before first service today, and she hangs out during second service back in the back. And she says, are we too loud? You know, we're laughing during second. And I said, no, no way. Because I'll tell you that laughter is worship. And I said, I would love to hear people laughing, because it's a beautiful thing. And I will tell you that worship more is what you guys do outside these walls than what you do in here. If this is the only place where your heart worships God, then there's something wrong. Woe to you. Because living out there is much more important than what goes on in here. So we're going to worship God. Tom's going to come and pray. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you praise, honor, and glory, Lord, that we're here today, that you've opened up this building, this fellowship, and brought your spirit here that we might grow in you. God, as we process the message that you spoke through Aaron to us, Lord, I look at myself and I say, Lord, I pray that you're not looking at me and saying, woe to you, Tom Holmquist, or woe to you, anyone sitting out here today. Lord, we want to be able to rise up beyond mediocrity as in our forefathers. We want to become the fullness that you would have us be, that we can go into our community and touch lives. Lord, that uh, just like the refiner's fire, that the Lord pulled the slag off the top of that fire till he saw his reflection. That's us, Lord. That's what we want to be. Because till that comes, I'm sure there's woes. Lord, we don't want to be people to say, I would have, I might have, I could have. We want to be the fullest that you would have us be. So, Lord, as we come before you in communion this morning, examine our hearts. 
identify and reform the pieces that need reforming in our lives, that our lives might be a glorious testament to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.